Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle, but he don't ever get rattled. He just goes to the sun goes down. Welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is all about reconnecting you to your food. Where does food come from? How does it get from the field to your plate? I'm Greg Bloom, co-host of Food Chat, and I'm here with Chef Jackson Lamb. Chef, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be back here, Greg. And, uh, you know, we're doing this show because we are pretty good experts in the field that we're talking about. Well, now that you mentioned it, tell us a little bit about your background, Chef. Well, I've been in the uh, hospitality industry for 40 years, um, actively worked in the industry as a uh, uh, executive chef, personal chef, caterer, and then I drifted into teaching. And uh, anyway, I taught for 30 years and I recently retired. Great. Yeah, and I met you, you know, when you were a chef, a teacher at Metro State University. I was a supplier. I uh, grew up on a farm in Colorado and have spent 30 years working in six different USDA meat plants. And uh, let's not neglect to uh, the other part of our team is Charlie, our producer behind the glass. So we're all here and we're going to introduce our guest. So excited to have Fred on. Chef Jackson, tell us about our guest today. Hey, everybody. We are doing a series of different types of cuisine and today we're talking about seafood cuisine. And I've got an old colleague uh, on the line, uh, Chef Fred Newville. He's uh, calling in from Charleston, South Carolina. There's a lot of seafood down there. Hey, Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jackson. Thank you, Greg and Charlie. Appreciate it. And hello, everybody out there. Looking forward to talking about seafood. Very good. Well, you know, Fred, uh, you and I have a long history, but share with our listeners what is your background, and how did you get interested in food? I know that you've, you've worked and taught in a variety of uh, operations. Give us a quick overview as to what that's all about. Well, you know, Jackson, um, it, uh, it, it, I really was never interested in food. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, thing that, the thing that I knew how to cook when I was a kid was oodles and noodles and hot dogs. And my mother, you know, of course, fed me. But, you know, she was a good cook, but she wasn't the best of cooks. Her favorite dish was meatloaf or pot roast. And so my, my, I was washing dishes in a country club. I was oh, washing dishes. I started washing dishes when I was 13, busboy, waiter, the whole nine yards in a country club. My dad came to me at the age of 16 and said, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I said, well, Dad, I'm 16. I don't know. He said, well, what are you interested in? And or he said, what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm working in a, in a country club. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm in the hospitality end of it. And he said, well, what about becoming a chef? I said, Dad, I can't cook. And he said, well, they'll teach you. So he called up the Waldorf Astoria, found out the, the best culinary school in the, in the country, and it was CIA, and off we went on his motorcycle. And we, we went there, and I just absolutely enjoyed the, the, uh, the thrill of it all. Just uh, it just I just embraced it all the passion and uh, of course graduated high school when I was 17 went into culinary school and didn't know nobody wanted to be in my group because I didn't know anything <clears throat> so 
went on my externship, came back. Everybody wanted to be in my group because I learned a whole lot at the Washington Hilton in D.C. And just really embraced food, loved food. I actually, so in essence, I just fell into something that I absolutely love. It was a stroke of luck. So then, uh, you know, graduated culinary school, worked in a little French bistro in Richmond, worked in Richmond, worked in uh, Baltimore, worked, worked at the Willard Intercontinental in D.C., uh, opened up several different restaurants on the East Coast, then moved to uh, uh, Snowmass Aspen area, opened up a restaurant there, worked in a, left that restaurant, worked in another uh, Milan's, it was a uh, American Bistro, and then moved to Denver, where you and I met, Jackson, where I became a culinary instructor for several years, then uh, decided to move to back to the East Coast to be close to family, and uh, opened up uh, a French restaurant there, a seafood restaurant here in Charleston, a catering company here in Charleston, and then I ventured out on my own and opened up uh, Fat Hen, which was a low country French restaurant on John's Island in the middle of the farming belt uh, in South Carolina. Excellent story, Fred. Fred, let's just go backwards for a second just for our listeners. You and I kind of know the buzzwords of this industry, but uh, when your dad was asking you about where to go, he wasn't taking you to the CIA in Washington um, to clarify the Culinary Institute of America, which really is recognized as the premier chef training institute, correct? Correct, yes. It's in uh, Hyde Park, New York, right outside of Poughkeepsie. Excellent. So, Fred, moving ahead, you're in uh, South Carolina. We're talking about uh, seafood cuisine this week. There's a lot of different buzzwords that, uh, that go with fish, seafood, etc. As I've listed in some of my questions here, what the, is the difference between an edible bivalve and a crustacean and fish and shellfish? You and I can... Uh, talk about that all day long but you know sometimes our listeners are confused which is which so can you define those terms for us certainly so uh seafood really encompasses it encompasses all the sea fish or crustacean shellfish that we eat as food water dwelling animals that 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 we harvest and eat uh, a bivalve is a mollusk uh, an aquatic mollusk that has a hinged shell, such as a clam, mussel, or oyster. And as a matter of fact, oyster season around here is any month with an R in it. Uh, I really wouldn't eat oysters around here in September, but because the waters are so warm, but we do. And because and any month with an R in it, that means the water is cooler. Um, <clears throat> crustacean, crustacean would be uh, crab, lobster, or shrimp. And what was your other question, Jackson? Uh, as we're drifting into that, uh, the other term was uh, well, and then just and then shellfish is an overall term for crustaceans and mollusks. Would you say because they have a hard shell? Yes, I would say that. All right. 
Great. Hey, uh, Chef, I would like to talk to you about the food scene in Charleston. I have been there. Uh, it's a beautiful city, a town. You know, I don't know how big it is, but it's a very popular uh, destination for conferences. And in the meat industry, we have a conference there every now and then because the town is just so charming and there's so many good places to eat. And so tell us about the the the, the food scene there. And then and tell us explicitly, I think you're on... You're on an island outside of Charleston, am I right? Yes, sir. I'm on uh, Wadmala. Wadmala Island. Island. Is, okay, perfect. Which is about 25 minutes, 30 minutes right outside of downtown Charleston. So what sort of uh, local food scene do you have there as far as what's, you mentioned oysters uh, and, and eating them, you know, in the cool months. But what, what, other, what other fish and seafood is common to that area? Well, we have a, <clears throat> we have a plethora uh, I mean, it, it's very bountiful here. Not only, not only seafood, but uh, uh, we have farms around us that raise cattle. We have farms around us, of course, raise vegetables, and and it, it's it's just a plethora. It, it, it's a very bountiful area. But some of the fish that that we uh, uh, harvest and uh, eat around here are wahoo, mahi, mahi. <coughs> excuse me, sheep's head, grouper, and grouper has uh, a variety of, uh, it encompasses, the word grouper can refer to a snowy grouper, can refer to a gag grouper, can refer to a black grouper, can refer to a red grouper. So there's a lot of categories in that family. We also have uh, spot-tailed bass, red vermilion snapper. One of my favorite fish is trigger fish. Uh, yellowfin tuna, swordfish, and there's also another swordfish that's called a pumpkin sword, which is caught uh, during specific times of the year and is harvested, and it's got a pink flesh to it because of what it has been eating. We also have local oysters like Carolina Cups, uh, singles out of Buford. You have singles and you have clusters, so they harvest clusters, which are, you know, five to, you know, three to ten oysters that have clung on to one another, or you can have singles like Carolina Cups where it's just one single oyster. Um, <clears throat> the oysters around here have a higher salinity content than the ones that the West Coast have. The West Coast have more of a melony uh, flavor to them. The, the oysters around here have a higher salt content, a salinity. We also... Uh, harvest stone crab claws uh, between October and May 15th, uh, where a trap is set, and you know, with bait, and a crab will go in, and the crabber takes the crab pot up, snaps one of the claws off, and lets the other get, lets the crab go. And they used to come in to me, uh, my my uh, buddy Wes Fuller would go out and get them for me and bring them in, and they would be quivering. They were so fresh. They would still be quivering. Wow. And the, the, one, th the one thing that you have to do with those is you have to uh, boil them right away in uh, uh, white vinegar and water, and there's a ratio, and uh, so that the, the meat does not stick to the shell. Mm. Yeah, they're mm. absolutely delicious. And then you have... Um, you have soft shells, of course, and they come into existence the first full moon in May. Uh, that's when they, the, the blue crabs start to molt. 
and get their new shells on, and they're soft, and so you can eat literally eat the whole thing. Right. Yeah, I've been in Maryland before during blue, blue crab season. So I have a question for you based on I'm jealous of all those fresh types of seafood that you have because here in Denver, of course, we're landlocked. and We don't have anything fresh except for right. mountain trout. But a question I have about fish uh, is, you know, sushi is so popular all over the country. And when I go into a sushi bar, I'm a little weary of um, how fresh the fish is. And some sushi bars say, oh, yeah, we get fresh fish fresh daily it's flown in from our distributor um, but i have a idea that most of that fresh fish is frozen fillets and the sushi bar is just thawing it out which is fine but is that fish do you think here in denver actually still fresh or was it previously frozen well the answer to that question is yes and no um so there is a product out there uh tuna block that is uh, flash frozen and cryovac, and it is a very good product. Uh, I don't know about you know salmon. Salmon can be frozen, uh, but when I lived in Denver, we literally would have fresh fish. So I, I you know, in the sushi bar, you know, their their standards are very very high because they don't want people to, of course, get ill. So they're they're protecting their business by getting the freshest product that is available to them. Right. Okay, good, good. Thank you for that. Okay, Chef Jackson, you're up. Question. So, Fred, you know, where you are in Charleston, don't you have, is you're kind of at the confluence of the Atlantic Ocean and the intercoastal waterway, is that correct? Yes, actually, on uh, Wadmala, where I live, I live on the intercoastal. So... <clears throat> From a from a fishing perspective, do we find different fish in the intercoastal since it's not as crazy as out in the ocean, or do they come and go between both bodies of water? It's a great question, Jackson. That's a great question. So, um, you know, you 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 can find <clears throat> different species in the intercoastal, like spot-tailed bass. You know, they they don't generally go out into deeper water. Uh, they, they mainly stay in the intercoastal. The stone crabs, they'll stay pretty much in, the, and blue crabs, pretty much in the intercoastal, unless there is a lot of rain. Fresh water pushes some crustaceans, such as shrimp and crab, out to deeper water because when it when it rains a lot, it dilutes the salinity of the water. So that those leave. Now, you'll, you can catch shark in the intercoastal. You can catch skate in the intercoastal. Uh, crab, shrimp. I, I catch crab and shrimp off my dock. I catch spot-tailed bass off my dock. Um, you know, periodically. Uh, uh, you, well, let me not say periodically. You also catch uh, trout in the intercoastal. Uh, the big fish like the wahoo. And the mahi-mahi, you'll never catch in the intercoastal. They're out, they're deep sea. You know, they like to be free. But shrimp, crab, spot-tailed bass, which are absolutely delicious and give you a great fight. I, I get in my kayak, and I go out to the grassy area, and, man, I catch them all day long. And trout, just use the right bait, boom, you're good to go. Sounds like I need to plan a vacation. 
Yes, sir. You got a room waiting for you if you want it. So, Fred, let's talk about some cooking methods. And, you know, in reviewing what I had sent you over there, you know, a lot of people don't get into seafood because they're, it, it's foreign to them. And, but when we think about it, we can cook fish almost any way we want to. So, you know, let's just talk about that for a second. Like, for instance, uh, blackened fish. I forgot about that one, but that's a great, uh, that's a great presentation coming out of New Orleans. I talked about en papillote. Can you explain to our listeners what that's all about? Well, on poppy oat is actually cooked in parchment paper, but you can use uh, aluminum foil if you wish. Uh, uh, on poppy oat in parchment paper, and you can substitute parchment paper for foil. You just lightly oil it. I like to use a nice uh, extra virgin olive oil, the paper, and then you put uh, you can put your vegetables in there. Uh, season your vegetables, salt, pepper, a little bit of lemon, touch of garlic, you know, very nice. Just lay them, they have to be thinly sliced, depending upon what fish you put in there. Excuse me, if you, if you use like a flounder, <clears throat> which we catch prevalently out here, uh, uh, say a flounder, so it's a thinner fillet, so you would want your vegetables to be thin, then you would, you, you would put your vegetables down, and then you would put your fish on top, of course, season your fish, you know, skin side down, skin side up, salt, pepper, a little bit of lemon, very simple preparation. And then put your fish on top of your vegetables, fold the piece of paper or foil over top, and seal it just by crimping it. And then oven on a pan, 350 degrees, and you're done in like 20 minutes absolutely delicious very health conscious uh and you could you could substitute if you didn't like the vegetables you wanted a rice in there you could cook your rice before put it in there so it uh, there's a uh, the only limitation to cooking seafood is your own imagination that's a great way to end that question fred thanks on with the on papio really what we're trying to do is create a steaming packet that's really what that's all about um, one other uh, trick that I have found over the years, you know, it was Chef Steve Kleiman that really taught me on papillote, and we all worked together at one point in time. But the, uh, you know, on papillote, you know, in Mexico, they're, they're wrapping fish in banana leaves. You know, we see that in wow. Central America. It's the same idea where we're really trying to steam the product. Here's the one trick I want to leave everybody with. Yes, we're going to take that packet. We're going to put it into an oven, 350 degrees. I typically put the sheet pan in 20 minutes ahead of time so that when I put my own papillote in the oven, it's hitting a hot pan and we start that steaming process immediately. How about you? Do you do that or do you put the whole thing in there cold? No, actually, I do do that. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> or you can use a pan, like a, a saute pan, Get that nice and hot, and then put the unpopiote uh, in that pan, and then throw that pan in the oven. You know, I love Charleston for the history that they have down there. And again, going back to the Revolutionary War, in fact, if you follow history at all, uh, the Swamp Fox, uh, Francis Marion, that was his territory down there. Very instrumental in fighting the British. 
How about the history and how that affects some of the cuisine items that we see on menus in Charleston? Well, you know, Charleston is a, uh, has, has, just has a really rich culture um, in, in the food area, the food scene. And, you know, when the, when the uh, Cassaba Indians uh, were here thousands of years ago on Wamala Island, you know, they, they, uh, they uh, hunted wild turkey and deer and, you know, ate oysters along with the, with the uh, and grew corn and beans along with the tribes of Kiowa, Edisto, and Stono. And the way that, the, the way that we, uh, how we learned to grow indigo and rice was through the uh, African slaves that came over, and they taught us about okra and eggplant, uh, sesame, and, like I said before, uh, rice cultivation. And then the Huguenots came over, and um, I believe, don't quote me, but I believe it was in 1680, uh, King Charles II sent some Huguenots over here to be artisans. And then apparently they were being... Uh, uh, harmed in, in France, so they decided to, a lot of them decided to come over here between the years 18, or 1684 and 1688. And you know, uh, uh, just a fun fact that Charleston was the fourth largest city in, the coloni- in colonial America, and it actually had the first public college and the first U.S. golf club. But you know, it, it's a, it really is a huge melting pot, or was a huge melting pot. And you have very uh, unique uh, perspective on different cuisines coming from Africa, coming from the French, Creole. Uh, there's actually a, a language that is Gullah that was recognized, I believe, in 1995 as an official language. And uh, from that culture, you, you have these shrimp and, you know, hop and john, and, which is just rice and field peas. And you have uh, shrimp and grits, you know. Uh, it's just, it, it's amazing. And just the influence of French, African, Creole, everybody else that settled here. You know, the Revolutionary War, the first shot was fired off the battery. Uh, the first shot of the Civil War, Fort Sumter, right out there in the harbor. I mean, so it goes way back. I love that story, Fred. Fred, can you just tell us a little a brief background on she-crab soup? <laughs> sure. She-crab soup. So it's a, it's a cream-based soup, and you use uh, a roux, which is flour and, and, and butter, to thicken it. And it's also the, the reason why they call it she crab soup is because it literally is the the eggs from the she crab that give it its distinct flavor. There are a lot of people that make it different. The ways it's made differently, and you know everybody wants to add their own twist, but it's not she crab if it does not have the roe in it. Interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to, I have never tried that. I'm going to try that next time I'm out there. Hey, I have a question for you, chef, about uh, cooking in parchment paper. I have never tried that before. I am going to try that. That sounds like a wonderful way to, to steam fish. But my question is, you know, myself and I think a lot of people listening that aren't from coastal areas are afraid 
to undercook fish and get our guests sick. So we commonly overcook it and dry it out. I do this all the time on my grill. I have a Traeger smoker. I love how fish turns out on the grill, but I tend to overcook it. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about, um, you know, maybe ways people like me that are afraid of getting people sick can, can cook the fish without worrying about getting our guests sick. Or, or is that like just a stupid thing to worry about? No, it's definitely not a stupid thing to worry about. Um, you know, you can, you can, there are certain fishes that you can undercook that are, that are safe, like wahoo. Wahoo, you want to undercook it to medium uh, because it'll be dr- very, very dry if you cook it all the way through. Salmon, you can cook salmon uh, medium rare. Salmon is farm-raised. A lot of the salmon that's out there is farm-raised. If, if you get wild Alaskan salmon, you know, it really all depends upon what the fish eat. But I'll eat my salmon medium. Um, so to cook a piece of fish properly and not to overcook it, you have to consider the thickness of the fish and the type of meat. A piece of flounder cooks a lot different than a piece of swordfish. A piece of swordfish cooks a lot different than a piece of tuna or a piece of salmon. They all cook differently. So you have to consider the thickness of that fish. Your preparation or your cooking technique uh, also dictates how long it's going to cook. If you're you're searing something in a hot pan, that means just searing means hot pan, quick cook. Uh, like a piece of, let's, for instance, I'm just using this as an example, a piece of flounder. You know, a piece of flounder is very thin. Uh, it's not going to take as long to cook as a piece of tuna. So what I, what I generally do is I touch the fish to see if it's, if it's done. And if you, or if you see albumin float to the top, uh, then that fish is done. And albumin is just a protein in the fish and it'll come to the surface when it's cooked. So if the fish is firm or you see albumin, you know you're done. Uh, and you can always uh, it, remember that everything carryover cooks. And what that means is that you might pull uh, your unpapillote, if that's what you're doing, out. You're going to want to let it rest for a little while because, number one, you don't want to you don't want to cut into it right away because it's going to be hot and you're going to burn your hand from the steam. You want to let it rest so that all those flavors can marinate and carry over cook to the proper temperature. Um, and th- then, uh, again, go ahead. No, I think that's a great explanation. That's, that's wonderful. I, you know, I wanted to throw in there that sometimes when you're dealing with a fish like salmon, it's got a very high oil content also. You have to take that into consideration. Well, you know, Fred, yeah, we are uh, just about out of time here on the station. I, I told you it's going to go fast, and it did go fast. But uh, I want to thank you so much for – I think you gave us twice as much information as we were looking for, and it's fantastic. The amount of seafood that we have down there in this Charleston area, I can't wait to visit. So um, – Greg, any last comments? No, just thank you, Fred. I really enjoyed it. So uh, I'll visit you next time I'm in Charleston for a meat conference. So I thanks so it. much. Sounds, okay. Sounds good. Fred, thanks a lot for calling in. And uh, perhaps we can have you on again. You can talk about low country French cuisine. Awesome. I'm in. All right, thank buddy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Bye.
Today's episode of Food Chat is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com has the best selection of beef, bison, wagyu, air-chilled chicken, turkey, and duroc pork, and more, all sourced from the family farms and ultra-clean USDA plants that they know personally. Take the mystery out of where your meat comes from and how the animals were cared for, and buy your family's meats at RanchFreshMeats.com. Hey, save 10% on your first order by using Food Chat at checkout. Orders over two. $200 include free shipping. RanchFreshMeats.com. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring. The turn from green to that harvest honey. Hold one up for the banker downtown. They got him on his feet with handshake of money. Here's to the farmer's wife that loves him every night. Raising a son. Raising a daughter, they gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.